Hello and welcome to another edition of Back of the Grid. I'm your host Stu and I'm joined as always by Chris. Hello. And by Tom, whose name I almost just forgot. <laughs> it's because it's, it's I disappeared at the very last moment last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew, I literally nearly said Ash there. <laughs> yeah, I, well, do you know what? I would say thanks to Ash for stepping in at like literally... 30 minutes before we were supposed to record. Yeah, didn't he so do well? He was, he was good, wasn't yeah. he? Didn't he do yeah. well? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're here today to talk about the Spanish Grand Prix, which occurred just hours ago. Uh, well, more than hours ago, probably like day now. But, you know, it wasn't that amazing. <laughs> so, I was going say, occurred is an interesting way of describing it. It's like, yep, that sure was yep. a race that happened. Something. Yeah, it was a race that happened. And Chris is going to sort of guide us through the race and the race weekend, and I am going to fill in the gaps. <laughs> so, Chris, <laughs> would you like to take it away? Attempt to find some things to talk about. There were, there were a fair yeah. few, to be fair. I think it's even worth talking about qualifying because it was fairly as expected. Mercedes are faster than everyone else. Racing points are very quick. Verstappen's very quick. That's basically qualifying in a nutshell, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Stroll probably had the best start of the lot um, to take third place behind Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, he sort of put Bottas on the back foot in the process that dropped him to fourth and he nearly lost um, another place to Perez and Albon as well. Yeah, um, I felt like Bottas sort of invited that to happen by his positioning, though. He kind of he sort of had a go at covering Verstappen, but it was already too late. And then he had a go at covering Stroll, and that was already too late. And he just sort of ended up in no man's land, like yeah. in the middle of the track, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit of a kamikaze move, I thought, <laughs> from Stroll up the inside of him. It was kind of. It was it, bold. Yeah. yeah. He sort of, if he'd locked up or anything through there, that could have been a really, really bad accident. But that's racing. Like, he, he, yeah. he saw the gap, he took it, and um, it worked really well for him. We saw a similar thing at the start of the um, F2 sprint race as well, like three wide into turn one and someone had to yield, otherwise it was going to be an almighty accident. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Brundle that said it on commentary at the time, but it was pretty reminiscent of one of Alonso's starts a few years ago when he was at Ferrari. Um, That sort of good launch and then spotting the gap down the inside and essentially if you park it on that apex, you've kind of... You've taken the corner, haven't you? Because you've you've taken the angle away from the other yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, you've got, you're he, kind he's, of forcing he's stuck, them out he's stuck the on the outside. You're forcing the issue, aren't you? Basically. Yeah. So good start, really, from Stroll and then, and the others that managed it in like F2 and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Sticking with Stroll, he ultimately lost the position back to Bottas, which was kind of always inevitable. But um, he held on to fourth place in the end, held off Perez, who put up a pretty spirited attack at one point, but then kind of faded back. Uh, fourth place is that team's best result ever in Barcelona, dating all the way back to their Jordan days. They've never been that high in any of their names over the years. But it was it was another impressive drive from Stroll. Like with all the talk of that racing point seat maybe going to Vettel and which driver should lose it. Like ever since that's happened, I feel like Stroll's really been bringing the goods. Like he, that that seat's kind of not super at risk for him anyway, given the circumstance. But I do feel like he's kind of putting his stamp on that seat. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I've literally just written the uh, the takeaways, and that is one of my takeaways <laughs> straight away from mm-hmm. this race, is that Lance Stroll is doing the business. He's, he really is. Yeah, he was good in qualifying, and he was better in the race, I'd say. 
Mm, definitely. Yeah, I think going back to as well, like I remember a couple of races ago, I was saying he really needs to kick on now and just just show that it, it, what's happened earlier is not earlier in the season is not just like a flash in the pan because the car's better than people expected. And like, and I think to be you know on par with an out doing Perez, yeah, Perez had a couple of weeks out, but he had a he had a decent week, couple of weekends against Hulkenberg. Like, admittedly, Hulkenberg's not been in the car for a while, but I mean, he's had a decent time, albeit considering the amount of flack that he used to get. Yeah, I think still bringing that car home in fourth and qualifying where he did as well, um, and then that start, like that, that, I think that start goes to show that he's not just this lucky kid that's chanced his way there, and, and like being able mm. to go wheel to wheel with the guys at the front like that, come out of it not only like clean but on top shows that he has got a developing racecraft mm. in that maybe it's not like shines from day one like a Verstappen or or someone like that or a Leclerc shined quite early. He's taken stroll a little while to sort of get settled and find his place, but now he's getting the opportunity to show what he can do. He is actually generally showing what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think on, on that point, um, Lawrence, so Lawrence Stroll, the guy who owns the team, strikes me as a fairly shrewd businessman mm-hmm. and mm. you don't get to where he's got by just you know giving people free rides no that's yeah. because they're family so he must see something worth having in Lance Stroll and having him in that team it regardless yeah. of whether his son or whether he's his son or not I don't think he's the sort of bloke that would just give his son the drive come what may I think he's Lance has to do the business and maybe the reason we're seeing him now start to do the business and start to sort of beat his teammate for the first time in Formula One on a regular basis is because he knows he's got to deliver. He's, he's not just going to, maybe he's been told that you're not just going to get a free ride. You have got to, you know, really, really yeah. up the game and, and earn this seat. And he's, he's really doing that at the moment. Yeah. I mean, we, we've said it before. He definitely was given more time and less pressure than most new drivers in F1 get to uh, kind of find his feet. But he he has used that time well. And at this point, I mean, this is what, his fourth season is this now? Third, fourth so, season? Yeah. Two, two, at, two at Williams and two here. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's definitely used that time well. And I think he is... I mean, going back to what you were saying about the start, Tom, I think if he'd have been in that position in his first or second season, he'd probably have been stuck in the side of Bottas's radiator but yeah it, he's definitely matured the pressure of it yeah he's matured as a driver in that time and yeah it was it was he's really impressive and I think as well given that he's generally been outperforming Perez and then that Hulkenberg kind of outperformed him at Silverstone if I were a team boss with an empty seat I'd probably be looking at Hulkenberg before Perez based on that right now as well I think Perez's stock is kind of doubly going down at the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- this uh, this sort of absence that he's had for the last sort of few weeks, it has done some real damage to his reputation, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, but as, as unfortunate as it's not, you know, obviously it's not his fault. He caught the he caught COVID and sort of had to quarantine, and that was that. It's kind of out of his hands because you can just literally just catch it. It sounds like, but um, it's very unlucky. Yeah, yeah. And you need a bit of luck in Formula One, don't you? 
very much so. <laughs> After that, that was kind of it for the race of the front, wasn't it? Um, Bottas got within a couple of seconds of a stop and a couple of times, but he never really looked like getting close enough to even think about overtaking. Like even when Bottas was on much fresher tyres, he just didn't seem to be able to close in. Um, I mean, impressive on Verstappen's part that he was able to split the Mercedes again, but ultimately, pretty disappointing day for Bottas. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I worry that he's not got that that edge that you need to really push on for a world title. It it worries me a little bit that he's, I feel like he, he had it at one point. There was a time when he was mm-hmm. at Williams and early in his, Mercedes career where you'd see him be a bit more ruthless, a bit have a bit of fight in him and and push on for like that extra point, that extra position, that you know, that that extra tenth that would have got him the pull, those kind of things. But I don't know, I feel like he's he's lost some of his fight in the last couple of years and I don't know if that's like a demotivation of like he feels like he doesn't know how to beat Lewis or but he, I guess he can't help as well when Lewis is walking away with a win and Bottas is struggling to compete with the Red Bull yeah, ahead yeah. of him of Max. Like, There's got to be some kind of confidence knocked there or something like yeah. that that's having a, a detrimental effect. Maybe. Let's dive in a bit to, to this race specifically. So uh, it, was, um, it, it was basically the pit strategy that caught out and Bottas and Mercedes, I'd yeah. say. Like, Verstappen pitted early, didn't he? Well, not early, early, but he pitted sort of earlier than Mercedes would have liked to pitted. I think Lewis wanted fresh tyres. He wanted to... He did want some new tyres, but they wanted to put him on softs. And there was an argument over the radio over whether he should go on the softs or yeah. whether he should go onto the mediums, which Hamilton ended up staying out an extra lap. And I think it was that extra lap that sort of slowed them down just enough of Verstappen to sort of achieved the undercut with uh, with Bottas and that's what cost mm. Bottas the race so basically purely incidentally by having the argument with Hamilton obviously Hamilton's entitled to the first pit stop because he's a, the car ahead he qualified ahead of Bottas and he's the car ahead on track so he gets the first start that, that's how it works in Formula 1 like that's what that's how the teams work it yeah. because obviously if you pit first you're at a disadvantage to your teammate they can they get the option to stay out and potentially undercut you or, you know, that it sort of puts the ball into their court and that's not fair. So Hamilton having this argument, staying out for that extra lap, put Bottas back for a whole extra overlap. And I think that's where, where Verstappen, you know, sort of slid into the gap in between. Them. It's, it's the third stint though, where, where it, I don't know if that's the one that you're referring to. If it's the, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the first tire change you're talking about or the second one. But it's that is the second one where Lewis has said, "I don't want the soft that you're planning to give me for the last." Oh, was flight. that the second? I thought that was the first. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, so the the, fi- the final stop where they were looking at giving Lewis, um, the I'm pretty sure it was that one because Valtteri ended up on um, on the hot. It was the. Medium. I can't remember which way around it was. It was a medium. It was a medium, and basically Lewis argued the point of saying, "I don't want that tire because I I don't think it'll work. I I I feel like it won't work." And Bottas ended up on it anyway yeah. and went with the same strategy. And 
it, they just they just never turned on for him. They just never worked oh, for him. And no, it, yeah, it meant sorry. that he could no, no. it could never yeah. chase Max because the, Max was on the other tire, the same as Lewis. So so Lewis basically when I want to match Max's tire, I want to be on the same tire as Max, but obviously fresher. Mm, yeah. Um, and Bottas stuck with the original strategy as far as I know. So which here, was the other here compound? Was, here was the strategy for both cars. So Hamilton and Bottas both started on the soft tire, obviously because they qualified in yep. Q2 on those. Then they both went to the medium tyre. Um, yep. Then Hamilton's second stop, he continued on the medium. And yep. um, Bottas switched to the soft tyre. And then on lap 63, Bottas pitted again and took another pair of another set of mediums. Because yep. that's, they're the ones he set his fastest and lap on. That That's the decision that Lewis made for himself. So they were both yeah. supposed to go to the softer one. And Lewis said, I don't want to be on those softs because I don't think they'll work. Give me the medium. Yeah, and that, a that's shame, a conversation that you been... overheard with Toto and um, uh, Christian Horner uh, towards the end of the uh, after the race in the pit lane. There was a conversation mm, overheard where to- where Toto said because um, Christian was asking why Bottas dropped away and Lewis didn't, and Lewis maintained pace, and Toto basically said. Because Lewis said, "Don't give me the softs, give me the mediums," and he ma- he maintained his pace on those, whereas Valtteri stayed with the softs. So, the the reasoning then that we can we can sort of devolve from this is that Hamilton made a better decision on track than Bottas did. Yeah, in the race, essentially. Like he, yeah, he chose. You know, he made the call. He chose mm, the tire absolutely. that he wanted, and you you well, that was the difference in the race, wasn't it? And that is the I, yeah. I, you you could. I can't think you could extend it out now from beyond this, just this race, where it's those kind of calls that Hamilton has the confidence to make. And I don't think Bottas has the same... Obviously, he's less experienced than Hamilton, but he's still... He ought to be experienced enough by now. He's been in Formula 1 a long long enough time to be making those kind of calls and getting them right. And mm. it just well, feels fl- to me like a lot of the time Bottas maybe doesn't quite have that that sort of nous that yeah. Hamilton's got with, with the tyres and things like that. And to to accompany that, Max last time out for the seventieth GP was making similar calls and saying, "No, this is this is what I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna do with the tires because I can feel what I can and can't get out of them, and I'm gonna I'm gonna push on these tires yeah. because he he knew why he lost out the previous race at Silverstone, and he knew what he was capable of the second time out, and he essentially did the same thing and said, "Look, if I'm gonna catch one of these Mercedes." This is how I'm going to do it. So I'm going to push these tires to the to the point that I can sense that they need to be. I need to swap out rather than you dictating this to me. And I think that's something that both Lewis and Max have done in the last two races. That's not necessarily he's not necessarily won the race for Lewis, but he's kept him comfortable this race. Yeah. Like he could have been falling back into the clutches of Max if he'd gone to those softs. Yeah, from which the pace great. That from Valtteri. Uh, yeah, it would have been better from a spectator point of view, for sure, mm. 100%. But I think that that's the decisions that Lewis and Max make that yeah. kind of sets them apart. We see it from Seb sometimes as exactly. well. Seb, yeah, like, well, we've seen it this that. weekend. Seb, Seb questioned decisions and said, like, like I'm, I'm asking what I need to do with these tyres because I, need, like, I, I want to manage them to the end or, or whatever his reasoning was. But you see these certain drivers a lot and then you've got Perez saying, how much longer will the tyres last? <laughs> yeah. Like, what what is the condition of the tyres? Like, yeah. uh, you'd expect someone of Perez's like experience to be able to 
to tell the team what he's feeling and thinking. So, especially Paris. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you, you've taken to dive further into this then, because the, the, these things that we're talking about now are the marks of, of sort of real champions. So like the, the ability yeah. to be in the car and and you know make those kind of crucial strategic calls based on the feeling you have with the car and what you know about that car and having the confidence to to put that on yourself and to take command of the team yeah. like that. You know, it's something Vettel did during his time at Red Bull and at Ferrari, done it a lot. Um, you, yeah, you see Hamilton do it on a regular basis. Verstappen, no doubt, will be a champion one day, and you very, very clearly see it in in his time now at Red Bull. So I think it's um it's kind of a new thing to his Arsenal as well. Like we've seen it from him from time to time, but I really feel like this season we've really seen Verstappen stepping up and having the confidence to make those calls more than he ever has before. Like we've known he's a great. Yeah very quick driver for a long time now but this feels like he's really like adding another string to his bow um yeah i still think vettel is the best at that i've i've never ever seen a driver that can have a read on the overall picture of an entire race from the seat of his car like vettel like he's so good at doing that but hamilton's always been great as well and yeah verstappen's definitely seems to be um stepping up to that kind of level as well it's it's funny because i i think i've remembered occasions of both vettel and hamilton pointing out that they've seen something like on a big obviously they're not be able to do it this season because they're not there but they've pointed out like they've seen something on a big screen and that they they're that sort of aware of what's going on around them that they use the screens that are normally there for like the grandstands to be able to see the rest of the circuit and what's going on around the circuit they actually take those screens to see to take a moment to like look at what somebody else is doing somewhere around the track like they, that's how aware they are of what's going on around them they're not just driving their own race your likes of your lewis's your maxes your sebs and that is i think truly what sort of sets them apart that they are that aware of what else is going on around mm. them, not just their own race. Whereas this season, if they look at the screens, they can just see some some fan head to toe in team garb cheering <laughs> yeah. at a camera, which is not much. Help. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, covered in Heineken branding. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had something then, but you you totally threw me off. <laughs> <Sorry>. Totally derailed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hamilton won it. Yep, our weekly visit to Hamilton record corner uh, 155 podiums now which breaks yet another Schumacher record 56 56 sorry yeah sorry yeah. 55 is a record yeah 56 now has um, he's only three wins I think now behind Schumacher's all time record of 91 wins as well which is again looking inevitable yeah. at this point could be broken in about six weeks that record yeah, yeah. we've got a few we've got a few actual weeks off coming up haven't we oh yes can't we- wait. weekend off this weekend um, so, but yeah so hyped Bottas has already said he can see the title fight slipping away from him. I mean, to be honest, I think the rest of us saw it slipping away a couple of weeks ago, but there we go. But but that is not the attitude of a world champion to be, is it? No, not at all. Like, the the attitude of a world champion to be should be, I've got to focus now on winning these races that left. That is all I can do to keep this in my hands and and not let it slip away. But to to turn around and say, I, I feel like it's already gone. Like, that's you're basically just conceding at that point, aren't you? Yeah, I was mm. just having a look back over, because this is Bottas' fourth season now at Mercedes. I was just having a look back over previous years. And his first season with the team, like, yeah, no one expected him to turn up and 
really challenged straight away. But he picked up like two or three wins in his first season. It was like pretty decent. Then his second season at Mercedes, he got destroyed by Hamilton. He finished behind both Ferraris in the uh, championship, didn't pick up a win all season. And I feel like he's never really properly picked up to like properly challenging level since then. Like he seems to start a season well and then just fall away. He hasn't got a full season performance in him, I don't think, unfortunately. Mm. Well, I think yeah. anyway, you know, again, when you're up against someone who's the world record podium holder in Formula One. It's true. But you know, the trouble is he's not even finishing second. <laughs> No, well, maybe, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. Like, he ought to be finishing second. But then it's difficult because there's always going to be a number one, regardless of what Mercedes say, there's a number one driver. Once When it when it comes down to the crunch, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're both thinking what I'm thinking. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just see, crunch, I can just see Richard Ayard. Yeah. Yeah, you know nothing, you know of, nothing the of the crunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it when it does come to the crunch, you know when they're when they're on the racetrack and 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 the lights go out, then there is a number one driver, no matter, and it's the car that's ahead. And it just so happens that Hamilton is usually the car ahead, and therefore the strategy is going to favour that car every time. So what Bottas yeah. needs to do is find a way of qualifying faster than Hamilton and find a way of getting ahead of him on the racetrack. And the thing is, he's not that far behind him. He's only about a tenth off of his pace. Hmm. Yeah, so, it's, it's weird, isn't it? His one-lap pace is there or thereabouts yeah. with Lewis. Like, if he's not... When he has qualified ahead of him, it's obviously been pretty close, but when he's qualifying behind him, he's, like, within a tenth of him a lot of the time. And so he's not that far away from him on that one-lap pace. Yeah. It's... It's, it's just the race pace that seems well, to get away from him. It's just coming down to who's ahead on track, I think, at, at yeah. a given time. Because the the strategy has to favour the car ahead, the car that's the car that's earned the the more forward position. Yeah. Otherwise, you risk losing so many points in Formula One. I think his problem a lot of the time this season as well is that when he is in a position to have that favoured strategy, it's either not working out for him or he's not making the most of it. Yeah, or he's yeah. just unlucky. Sometimes he just gets yeah. really unlucky. And ultimately, I think some drivers go out there and just win championships, and other drivers need a bit of luck on their side to get over the line to win a championship. And I think Bottas is very much in that second category, and the luck mm. just isn't falling his way I mean, right now. Is, well, you, you could argue he's had terrible. You could argue he's actually had bad luck. Because in Silverstone, mm. you know, the first race at Silverstone, he, he should have won that, really. And... Am I right in thinking that? He should, yeah, he was he was in the lead, wasn't he? And then his tyre went. No, he was well, in the Hamilton, second. Hamilton won it. He wasn't in the lead. But, I mean, the the, the difference between that is it's, it's just the sort of the look of when it's happened. Because it's happened to both cars. It's just Bottas, it's happened two laps earlier than it did to Lewis. And for Lewis, it's happened as he started the final lap yeah. of the Grand Prix. Yeah, but and then you know, at the same time, like, is 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 there luck involved, or is it that Hamilton's better at tire life than Bottas is? Yeah, yeah. You know? I think for the sake of two laps difference, though, I don't know if that's. I don't know. Under those yeah. circumstances, well, I think that's probably just look at the draw. Yeah, I suppose we're pushing it a bit there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'll I'll be honest. Like, I I was never a massive Rosberg fan, but the, the way. Hamilton and Bottas, his panning out is making me kind of reassess how well Rosberg did. 
Yeah. Yeah, because it was it was one or the other most of the time, wasn't it? Like they they went tit for tat in terms of wins and, and yeah. whatever. Like if if it wasn't Lewis winning, it was generally Rosberg and I, winning. I saw someone sort of analysed uh, Rosberg and Hamilton's years together versus Hamilton and Bottas's years together, and Rosberg has taken a lot more wins off Hamilton than yeah. Bottas has managed in a similar time period. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of Rosberg, yeah. it was pretty good having him on the uh, coverage. I thought he was uh, a, a it was bit, quite good. He was quite a good addition, wasn't he? Yeah, I it was hate good insight. To, I hate to say it, but <laughs> he was quite good on TV. He was, yeah. Especially the whole discussion about the the pit entry. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't yes. see that. What that was, was that? fantastic. That was, Basically, they were they were yeah. talking in one of the practice sessions about in the previous race where Hamilton sort of steamed into the pits, all locked up. And a lot of people were saying, why didn't he get a penalty for that? But Rosberg was basically explaining that it's not a hard line and you have to be at the pit limit by this line. There's essentially two lines and your speed's taken as an average within that space of uh, road. So even if Hamilton steamed over the first line too fast, as long as he slowed down underneath the pit limit before the second line, it would average yeah. out to the speed yeah. of this new bit. Okay. So, so it's an average it, speed trap, basically. Yeah, yeah basically. it's an average speed between the timing loops. Um, and his other example was, if you could work out where the timing loop was at the end of the pits, you could essentially put your foot down before the white line and turn the pit limiter off, pit limiter off earlier because you knew where the timing loop was to obviously be within your average. Yeah, he said like one of the things he did every weekend was go and look at where the actual timing loop was in the pit lane. And at some races, he would be back on the power like 15 20 meters before people who hadn't done that which is yeah it's really fascinating stuff he was that's he was really good that's really yeah. insightful very smart yeah good insight anyway should we go back to the race yes back <laughs> to the race. we went on a right old tangent there was some <laughs> fairly decent racing in the midfield especially for barcelona uh which seemed to mainly be because everyone was just like pitting themselves back into traffic there seems to be constantly people coming out of the pits just into a line of traffic. So what was going on yep. there? Uh, Signs won that fight behind the racing points. That's his best result uh, this year since the opening round. Largely, I think, because the team have finally solved the cooling issues he was having with his car. Norris lost two places on the first lap and he never really recovered from that. Finished in 10th, but that was still enough to move McLaren up. They're now one point ahead of Ferrari and one point behind Racing Point. So it's wow. super tight for that third place. Although, again, we don't know if Racing Point are going to get their Racing Points back, <laughs> if, if and when we have this uh, this court thing. I see what you did there, Chris. Good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk Charles Leclerc. Uh, he had an electrical issue, which basically caused his engine to shut down, seized his rear axle, which is why he spun at that final chicane. Um, he eventually managed to get it going again, but not before he'd uh, taken his belts off. Whether he deliberately did that or accidentally took them off is up he, for debate. Well, the he had to push some buttons that were not easily reachable um, in his car. So they were like down, so he'd have to lean forward. Imagine if you in your road car, if you've got a petrol cap and you're and you're oftentimes it's down by your feet, right? Yeah, or like yeah. down underneath your knees where the filler for the petrol cap is, and the 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 things he needed, the buttons he needed to access in order to get the car going again, were out of out of his reach, and he had that to feels take like his a design flaw. 
it does feel like a design <laughs> yeah. flaw, doesn't it? But then yeah. that was his that was his reason for taking his seatbelts off was because he couldn't that he said on the radio it was because he couldn't reach the thing. I think he was getting ready to get out of the car. I think I so think too. <laughs> but um, that was his yeah. that was his excuse. So yeah, he managed to get going again, then proceeded to drive two laps of the circuit at near racing speed. Did he do two laps? Two, he yeah. just did one. Yeah, I, I rewatched the onboard today. It was two laps wow. he did. He told the team over the radio that they needed to be ready to buckle him back in because that's why he was coming in. Um, and he got the standard Ferrari OK copy. And then he came in and yeah. they weren't ready for him anyway. So he was like, what you do and ask you for seatbelts? Um, at which point they decided to retire the car. Didn't didn't he and didn't the clip end up being broken though? If I'm being yeah, I think basically he'd like the when you take the belts off, the sort of central buckle is not attached to any of the belts, so that comes loose. So I think he'd lost that either in the car. Well, I guess in the car, he's yeah. on the fallout, and he was expecting them to have a new one ready for him, and they just didn't. That aside, though, what on earth was he thinking driving around the circuit with those belts on? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. crazy. Um, you wouldn't do that on the streets, would you? Well, like he said on the radio, this is why I'm coming in. And he said, I don't mind, but I'm pretty sure nobody will be happy with me driving without seatbelts. And he actually said he was like moving yeah. around in his seat under braking. Yeah. Like, and as far as I have seen so far, there's no like investigation or anything going on about this. Like F1 have just like stuck a video up on the website and on YouTube of like, here's Charles Leclerc spinning and then driving around without his seatbelts and i don't know about you guys but i'm sat here like where is the massive fine where is where are the pet points on his license where's the yeah freaking, like i would even maybe go as far as saying give him a race <laughs> ban for that like that is I've i was, never about, heard I was about to passion. say you know it's this is serious when chris says freaking it is honestly <laughs> i find that mm. inexcusable what he did my it's mind-boggling it is a bit mind-boggling i think first thing it from putting a video up about it, it isn't related to any of the yeah yeah I, I know that it's... like the FIA are in charge of, of that and the stewards so and the race has passed so if they didn't have that information at the time then they can't retrospectively go back and say you know, the stewards have, have gone the race event's over so the stewards have all gone home it's not like you can get them all back together and say oh <sighs> we did this can we retrospectively find the team. Um, the FIA might have something to say about it. They might launch an investigation into it. Yeah, it's very early. Door. You know, this only really came today, out basically, yeah. today. Yeah. Let's remember, yeah. So, you know, you never know. As the week goes on, we might see something in the news about the FIA looking into it. I, I doubt we will, but you just don't I just see... I'm trying to think where, where exactly it will have been in terms of on the track when he's got the car moving again because, to, to me, what he should have essentially done is if he's got the car moving, but he's not got his belt on, the maximum he should have done is essentially get that car out of harm's way. Well, if if he can't if he can't get back in the pits without like dangerously coming back towards potential oncoming cars because he's got to like turn right, depending on the, the exact position the car's ended up in once he's got it moving again, then to me he needs to be finding the first marshal's point and pulling it up there doesn't it yeah that's if he knows his belts are undone and he's got the car moving again and couldn't get directly back into the pits he should be finding the first marshal's point and pulling up not driving i thought he'd only driven one lap which i thought was sketchy which is like a lap to come back round into the pits but if he's then done two that's 
just it's a disregard for the, yeah. So for, for his own safety more than anything, because it was at the that last chicane where he spun and got it going again. Yeah. So he would have driven straight past the pit entrance straight away. Then he waited did a lap of the track, drove past the pit entrance the second time, and it was only the third time he passed it he actually came I, in. I was quite surprised to hear that it was two laps yeah. when you just said it was. I didn't. I I just I was absolutely shocked when I read this, especially given. You would think, given what happened to two people he was very close with over the last few years, you would think mm. if any F1 driver had safety at the front of their mind, it would be him. I don't know. I, mm. I was I was incredibly yeah. disappointed you, you by him right. through that whole thing. Yeah, I'm trying to look up the, uh, the regulations. I think they basically that. say you must have a six-point harness secured in the the way the manufacturer tells you to, basically. I mean, do you remember a f- couple of years ago when Hamilton had been after didn't, the race? Yeah, didn't, he'd he get, been... didn't he get fined for that? Because he he used to take his... He, he used to do this a lot, and he got a lot of flack for it at one point, which was he used to take his straps off. He just loosened them, like, lean, lean, Yeah, or loosen them, whichever it was. But he used, to, he used to basically essentially undo the harness to a degree so that it could kind of, like, peek up out of the cockpit a little bit to win yeah. and he, he got yeah, a lot of, yeah. he got a lot of flack for it i believe he got fined for it and he's if you notice he's never done it since because mm. of the rules in place that he was like i realize i'm breaking a rule i've been fined for it i will never because he got again. brought up in like drivers meetings and stuff like that yeah didn't it? so it's not like it's it's not like it's yeah. uh oh i didn't know about that because it's it's fairly recently being brought up and i guess wearing your seatbelt in a car that does over 100 miles an hour at all times is, well, is kind of obvious yeah here's a here's an interesting point then so hamilton got a just for comparison hamilton got in a lot of trouble at baku he got didn't he get um, a, a penalty when um, his no he didn't no he didn't get a penalty loose. because as soon as that restraint came off mercedes brought him straight in to fix it uh, but it cost him it definitely cost him the race win though didn't it Oh, it cost him the race for sure, yeah. But that and that was the res- the restraint thing around his head, and Mercedes were like, mm. "Come straight in, we've got to fix that. It's a safety thing." Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, as I'm sure I, you can tell, I was not best impressed by any of that. Yeah, I, I sort of I wait with bated breath for the minute because, like we say, it's kind of come more to light over yeah. the last twelve hours, like today, hasn't it? Um, like I think a few eagle-eyed people have kind of pointed out certain radio messages that they've heard from watching more dedicated feeds and stuff and listening to the the radio feeds and those few things have been pieced together to basically say look this is what seems to have happened yeah so i think i'd give the fia a chance to at least pick it up and and see like do their own investigation into exactly what's yeah. happened i think sure. when you consider things like you know some of the accidents we've seen just on cooldown laps like um yeah Vettel and williams i think it was uh in yeah i want to say russia oh it wasn't russia malaysia it was malaysia, yeah that sounds right. It was in the yeah. chicane. Uh, yeah. You know, if you if that had happened without a seatbelt on, that was a, that was a slowing down lap. That was like literally yeah. not even nothing yeah. like race speeds. That was a really really big big shunt. If you didn't have a seatbelt on for that, you'd be in a bit of trouble. So mm. yeah, for for Vettel to go around at race, uh, sorry for for Leclerc go, to go around at racing speed without a seatbelt on, it is 
It is really serious. Uh, there's no taking it's away really from bad. that. It's really bad. Very, very bad. As you say, it's early days, but I think he's going to get in a fair bit of trouble for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not advisable. <laughs> no. Definitely not advisable. It, I, I don't know. This, this might be a little controversial, but Leclerc's kind of gone down in my estimation a little bit this oh, season. Like, just open up a pack of Delitos, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. With this and his ill-advised jaunts backwards and forwards at the height of a pandemic and his flimsy reasons for not um, kneeling alongside the other drivers and spending more energy defending himself than actually talking about the issues and yeah. stuff. It's getting, a bit, it's getting way too big for his boots. A little mm. bit, yeah. It's <laughs> all right, Storm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I th- I think when he first came into sort of even into F two, like the impression people had of him before seeing anything was that oh, here comes a kind of spoiled kid who's grown up in Monaco, and he kind of did a lot to dispel that yeah. perception. He showed I a think. lot of humility, didn't he? Yes, and I feel like some of that's disappeared again this year yeah but I, i'd be inclined to agree with you there i definitely think since he's become the number one ferrari driver some of that humility has gone out the window mm. but then you know if you were mm. the number one ferrari driver in formula ferrari formula one team it'd be difficult to keep your head on your feet on the ground i think yeah at his age especially like he's a young guy isn't he what is he like 20 yeah i think now or it'll be tw- it will be 22 at some point this yeah. year if he's not already Goodness. i think I, yeah. i'll tell you what if i was his age and i was the number one driver at ferrari i would be insufferable i <laughs> 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 would be the worst person you've ever met in your life <laughs> shall we move on to the next <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about the other ferrari um vettel did a really impressive one stop to finish seventh he managed he somehow managed to do 36 laps on the soft tire that basically no one else used or got to work. In the process, he became the second driver in history to get over 3,000 points. I'm sure mm. nobody needs me to tell them who the first driver to do that was. Mm. <laughs> Vettel managed this kind of despite his team again. He he asked them about one-stopping. They said, no, 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 push on, get, get, go for it. So he did three flat-out laps, and then they said, oh, do you think you could take these tyres to the end? <laughs> which he was not best pleased about. He was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I liked that. That's a polite way of putting what he said. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of, I like that he got the initial kind of anger out of his system. Then he was like, okay, here's what you need to tell me, what laps do I need to do? And he was like, okay, yeah. I can do that. And, yeah, and, and he did. did like, he, he did him to within the 10th. He did him, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he did. He lost two places. He was fifth at the time. He lost a couple of places, which he didn't really fight. Um, but yeah, came home but that, seventh. But, Again, that to me, like, yes, I admit he lost a couple of places doing it, but to me, that's still the champion driving him because mm. he's been told he's got to take these decrepit softs to the end of the race. The things that Lewis Hamilton rejects saying yeah. they're yeah. not good enough to do 16 laps on, and he's been told he's got to do another 20 on ones that were already about nearly 20 mm. laps old anyway. That he's just and, ragged for three and, laps as well. Yeah, and he, he's then basically gone, right, tell me what times I need to do to get a decent position out of this. And rather than take those extra stops and potentially finish outside the points, they've obviously done what they can to come home where they have. Yeah. Um, which admittedly was fifth at the time, but I don't think holding on to those 
um, Ty Izzy was ever going to hold on to fifth. But also, if it had stopped, it had probably quite possibly lost places to people like Albon and Gasly that weren't that far behind him by the end. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a classic case of Ferrari balling up their strategy again, isn't it? It's it, well, it really like I is. said this, to, I said this to Chris during the race, and it was it was basically when, like, in most recent context, whenever Seb and Kimi were racing, Kimi was always the afterthought when it came to strategy, and we always used to joke saying Ferrari can always do only do strategy for the lead car, hmm. and it always came around when when Seb had like a mechanical failure. Um, something went wrong, like he had an incident of his own, whatever it was. If he was suddenly not in that race anymore, it was like, oh, where's Kimmy? Oh, what? He's trundling around down in fifth because we've screwed him on strategy. <laughs> How do we now suddenly solve this problem? And then they'd like do all they can for that car. It's like, but it's already too late at that point mm. because they're on a rubbish strategy and they're, they're like four places down from where they should be. Mm. So it, it's like, it's futile at that they point. They just and need to hire I... more strategists at Ferrari. That I think, <laughs> just double the strategy team. Yeah. <laughs> so, another but, thing, though, is... Chris and is it's so been... passionate today. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> it's been... I, I guess it's been a thing for like a while with Ferrari, but I've only really properly noticed it this season. The conversation between both drivers, actually, in the pit wall just always seems to be very strained and difficult yeah. at Ferrari and there's constant like it seems I have to be constantly re-clarifying things and not getting the answers they want and like I don't know if it's a language thing like there's no regulation that the teams have to speak English on the radio they can speak whatever the language mm. they want like I don't know if it's they'd be better off just all speaking Italian as most of the team do as a first language but it seems to be something like weirdly unique to Ferrari and I don't mm. know why do you know what I found most interesting about this whole tyre thing with, with Ferrari as well? And I think this again comes down to they only really think about the car that's in the lead or of the two. Is Sebastian started that race on the, the medium tyre. Charles started the race on the soft tyre. They both came in at the same point. So unless Seb's on a really heavily used set of mediums that have like done a practice session or something why is he coming in at the same time mm. as charles is that's on softs like I, I don't i don't see the logic in them pitting them at the same time because if seb had extended that stint and gone the other way he could have maybe done 30 to maybe even 40 laps on those softs like what other people were doing like perez did 30 something laps on uh, yeah. uh, sorry on mediums apologies and then got onto those softs that he was on much later and had a much easier time of it and been even more comfortably inside that top 10 realistically yeah like i just don't see the logic there of oh we're pitting one car so let's just pit the other well, one i think it was the the original strategy was that was for a two stop i think i think they had the, the original yeah. idea was put on two and then once leclerc went out it was like i don't know they woke up and thought, oh, maybe we can get mm. more out of this if we don't pit. Or maybe the, just the race evolved such that the the two-stop became unfeasible and they had to stick on the same tyres. Because he was right in a gaggle full of just everyone. I mean, if you look at that lap chart, the tyre chart, it's just all the way down the field. It's really, really, really jumbled up. There's a, there was a pit stop just about every mm. lap from about lap 15 yeah, all the way up to lap 50. I think as well because it was all so close in that midfield if they had have stuck with the two stop they'd have had to rely on 
overtaking people to make it work and that ferrari is not a car that's built for overtaking people right now with the no, lack not, of engine power they've got it's not a car that's built for going formula one racing by the look of it no <laughs> by ferrari standards yeah vettel and bonotto after the race both kind of brushed aside suggestions that there's kind of a a breakdown of communication and trust between vettel and the team or whatever but from the outside it certainly looks that way doesn't it yeah i don't know there's it's just they're just a weird team aren't they <laughs> they've always been their own like <laughs> i think they're quite unique aren't they like i think with a lot of other teams you can quite clearly put your finger on oh this is where something went wrong this is this is what probably needs to change like you can usually kind of put your finger on on where things are going wrong but with ferrari they're, they're such an enigma in themselves <laughs> yeah. that I think they've got lost in their own enigma that, like, even they don't quite know what's wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah, Some, something needs to change anyway. Absolutely. I don't know. What's the Italian for OK copy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, episode title. <laughs> Let's talk about Albon for a bit. He had a pretty ropey qualifying again. He was eight tenths off mm. the Stappen in qualifying. He spent a pretty big chunk of the race on the hard tyre that, again, was not particularly favoured. Um, spent a lot of time stuck in traffic as well. He, I mean, he gave him a chance to make some pretty decent overtakes. He's definitely one of the the braver drivers out there with overtakes, I think, but probably shouldn't have been put in the position where he needed to do that anyway. Another victim of poor tyre choice. I think, I think it was, it? Like yeah. The, the, hard, the harder tyre didn't seem to work for, for them, um, and he ended up on it. And it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, how long did Verstappen spend on the hard tire? Um, um, allow me. I don't think he did it all. Oh no, he didn't. He didn't go near it. Two mediums. Yeah. And a soft. No, yeah, he didn't touch the hard tire. I don't know why they put up on the hard tire. It seemed clear to everyone that the best strategy was to spend as much time on mediums as possible. But yeah, for whatever reason, Albon yeah. didn't do that. Albon was the only car throughout the field to touch the hard tire throughout the race. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the thing for me with Albon at the minute is. The the second half of the race, he he like comes alive and he, he's he's got these overtakes in him and he, he really pushes his way back through the field on these recovery drives. I think the thing that he needs to really work on is that that early stint. And I don't know whether it's that he he needs that better feel of the car to to be more demanding of what they do with the strategy in terms of just trusting the team. Um, He's in an awkward position because obviously he's not got a few years' experience under his belt. Yeah. He's only like essentially two seasons in. Yeah, this not point. even two. So, not even two seasons in. Yeah, he's like, Red Bull at least. I just I think that's what he needs to to work on. Really, is that that opening stint? Like yeah. the starts don't get swallowed up. Make sure like you, he's he's in. I know it's not possible all the time, but. I mean, if Lance Stroll can go toe-to-toe with the guys at the front and come out on top, I'd expect Alex Albon to be able to do the same sort of thing, in all honesty. Yeah. And it's not like yeah. the car's not capable, because um, Max is showing that the car is capable of of running up there. And I'm not saying that Alex should be finishing exactly the same sort of position as Max is, because I think that you've got a situation there where you've got an extremely talented future world champion in Max Verstappen, and you've got Alex Albon, who has the potential to win races and win podiums and so on, but I don't necessarily see world champion in Albon. Mm. Um, but 
I don't know. Give, give, given given the time, he may he may he may get that instinct. But Albon right now feels like the Bottas to uh, yeah, Verstappen's exactly. Hamilton. Yeah, perfect, doesn't he? Perfect. He's got that vibe it to, to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> the, the Vettel to the Leclerc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't go that no, far. I won't no, tell no, that. Vettel's still got his. Vett, no, Vett, Vettel's defense. I think Vettel has shown this weekend that he's still got his edge and he's still got his yeah. uh, talent of like feeling what a car's capable of. Yeah, I think, I think his no, drive this weekend's shown there's that. There's no question in Vettel's talent. I think it's the, yeah. the team are just not behind him anymore. I think that's the problem with Vettel. Yeah, yeah we'll, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll go enough a little bit on a tangent there. We'll come back to that in a bit. Yeah, I was going to say like Albon, so he finished eighth. He was a lap down on Verstappen. And I don't know if you've heard the team radio from after the race, but he was... Yeah, pretty really dejected down. after the race, basically saying yeah. he doesn't know what else he can do to look after the tires. And I think it was Christian Horner actually was like on the radio saying, like, "No, you were on a bad tire. You're in traffic. Like, it's it's not all you, sort of thing." Um, I mean, of once again, as seems to be the case after every race now, there's people on the internet whipping up how much longer has he got left in that car, and it's just like, again, this is <laughs> this is one of the few times the second driver doesn't seem to be under pressure from his own team at Red Bull. So yeah, yeah it's, it's the curse of that seat. It isn't really it? Like, is. It doesn't ma- it doesn't seem to matter who has it. It's like Kvyat's jump. This is this is the thing. Like Kvyat went up there, initially started okay, and then just fell to pieces. And then Gasly was probably the next one that it happened to. Yeah, exactly the same thing. And then it appears, like for all intents and purposes, it appears to be happening to Albon, and it just makes you wonder, like, what maybe goes on behind closed doors in that front that front team of the two, because they do they all do so well in the Toro Rosso as it was Alpha Tower now, mm. and like they go back down, like Gasly's had a, another stunner. He's having a fantastic he, season. <laughs> like he's he's done and he's had another good performance this weekend this season he's had a good performance all round and it's since he's gone back down to the Alpha Tauri so what what is it about being in that seat that because Kvyat's not necessarily had a bad season maybe, probably not as good as Gasly's but he's not necessarily had a bad season and it, I don't know it just makes me wonder as to well what goes on in that seat well it's like do you remember a while ago we were saying if you look at the list of drivers Ferrari have had and they haven't won a world championship in however many years, at that point you have to question whether it's down to the team and not the drivers. I think it's a similar thing. Mm. Like, if they have one driver go there and struggle, maybe even two, like, okay, yeah, they've made poor driver choices, but for it to keep happening, you do have to... It reflects badly on the team, I think. You have to question why that's happening within that team. Yeah, well, I think there's an answer. There's a very clear, obvious answer, and it's that they're designing a car for a this very specific taste of a particular driver, which is why that yeah, driver is excelling. Yeah. And I think the same thing was happening back when Vettel was there. They were very mm. much designing the car around one driver. And, you know, back in the Weber-Vettel days, it just so happened that Weber wasn't a million miles off of Vettel's driving style anyway. So he was able to more or less keep up with him. Yeah, potentially. Or, or at least it was less biased because Ricardo didn't have too much of a, uh, a time level pegging with Vettel. Ricardo beat Vettel. Ricardo beat Vettel. I was about to say, I'd love to know if that year Ricardo beat him, whether that season they were trying to design a car that was more suited to both drivers rather than designing a car Mm. suited to one driver. Yeah. Potentially. I I think that very very well could have been the case. We're going to need a book in about 
15, 20 years time from someone to explain that though. I yeah, think. when Adrian Newey <laughs> renews his bestseller How to Build a Car, <laughs> which I go on about all the time, maybe um, maybe we'll find out. What else to talk about? Uh, Renault came crashing back down to earth after a couple of decent races at Silverstone. Ricardo was actually fourth fastest on Friday, but then yeah. neither car made Q3, both finished outside of the points, which was a shame given that the new CEO of Renault, Luca De Mio, was there to watch it in person. Mm. So I'm sure that went down extremely well. Supposedly, he's, although he's head of Renault as a whole, he's very much a big uh, motorsport fan. So, bodes well for Renault staying in the sport, I guess, but uh, not if they keep performing like that when he's watching. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of, um, he's not a big enough motorsport fan to let Alonso keep disappearing off to uh, Indianapolis. Cyril Beatable said over the weekend that they definitely won't be releasing him from his F1 duties to go and do the Indy 500 when he's uh, a Renault driver for the next couple of seasons. So I think that's fair enough. I think We won't be seeing uh, Alonso at Indy for at least another couple of years. I think if you're a yeah. Formula 1 driver, you're a Formula 1 driver, you need to... Exactly, effort, yeah. Keep your focus. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's not what it was many years ago is it where people could do multiple disciplines no no well i think the thing with indy these days as well there's a whole week of qualifying before it actually gets to the actual exactly, race yeah. and there's a whole like load of pra- so much practice and stuff goes into it i mean they're only turning yeah. left i don't and, know what and, and, do so much practicing. <laughs> and and normally um it will always clash with monaco yeah like on, on almost usual... always yeah, on a usual season, it will nine times out of ten clash with Monaco because yeah. they're the same weekend usually, aren't they? Speaking yeah. of, actually, this is one of the few years where it doesn't, chiefly because Monaco yeah. isn't happening. <laughs> didn't, didn't happen. Yeah. And 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 it's now happening in August. Exactly, yeah. yeah. May. Yep. Um, it is this weekend, in fact. Uh, Alonso yeah. was only qualified down in 26th place, although he's like, surrounded by like three or four former winners of the Indy 500, so I think it's just qualifying has been a bit odd this year um he seemed to have slightly better race pace than he did qualifying pace but he's certainly not looking like he's going to be challenging for victory quite as much as he was in his first attempts ironically this is the first year he's not doing it with a honda engine and the top 10 i think is all but one <laughs> honda engine <laughs> that sounds exactly right yeah this is this is the way alonso worked car. though isn't yeah, it yeah that's how it's yeah. alonso Alonso leaves a, a manufacturer or an engine supplier or a team, whatever it may be, and they come good. Yeah, that's just absolutely. how it works. That, maybe that's why Renault have employed him for the next <laughs> couple of years. Because they're like, yeah, they we'll, want... get, we'll get Alonso in, we'll do average, and then he'll go and we'll yeah. suddenly win a world title. <laughs> Renault wants a championship <laughs> in 2025. <laughs> yeah, that's what this is. <laughs> you heard it here first. If we're still going in 2025, we'll have to replay this episode and come back yeah, to Yeah, get your money now on like Ocon or <laughs> Zoo becoming champion in the yeah. next year. Yeah. <laughs> One last tidbit talking about the Indy 500, if you are interested in watching it. Um, Marco Andretti is starting on pole, which is the first of the Andretti family to be on pole at Indy since his grandfather Mario 33 years ago, which is a nice little nice. Oh, that's, that's nice. That's a good tidbit. I enjoy your tidbits. Yeah. Apparently, there's like supposedly an Andretti curse on the Indy 500 and basically none of them have done well there since Mario. So <laughs> maybe that's finally lifted. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so we need to pick a driver of the day. And I'd, it's quite a tough one, I think, this week. I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't feel like there's a particular standout 
performance maybe over them, maybe Verstappen, but I'm so mm-hmm. reticent to give it to Verstappen because he just gets it, the official one all the time. Did Verstappen do a thing? Therefore, yes. Therefore. Vettel got the official one, didn't he? Did he? For, he did, yeah. The, yeah, he did. Yeah. Which I'm I'm quite happy with, to be honest. I'm quite happy to for him to have had that for that second stint alone. Mm. Uh, make, make, making the call himself, essentially, and doing what needed to be done to maintain the best position possible under some terrible conditions of that car. circumstances, yeah. 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 I mean, Hamilton was basically flawless, but... Stroll. What we've come to expect. Stroll. Strong performance from Stroll. Gasly was pretty good, although he could have done better. He probably should have been finishing ahead of... Um, mm. Well, he came close to actually catching Albon at the end. Um, he probably should have beaten Vettel as well, given that Vettel was one-stopping. So Gasly was good, but could do better, I think. Mm. I think Stroll like quietly did the business this weekend. Like he, he did just just got on with it and um, performed really, really well, and put that team basically as high up as it's as probably it's yeah. likely to be all season. So I think he achieved the I'd call it a hundred percent in terms of race. For mm. yeah, stroll there. I kind of feel myself leaning towards Vettel, though, to be honest. Really? What I think under you, the Tom? circumstances. Tom may have deciding vote here. If, uh... Unless he picks someone completely different. <laughs> <laughs> um, Grosjean. <laughs> Grosjean no. got the third, third fastest lap, Grosjean. Of the Grosjean was an enigma he, he might have, but he, al- he also finished 19th, yeah. like last on the road. True. So. <laughs> Grosjean, I wrote this um, down for WGF. Grosjean was fifth and sixth fastest in FP1 and 2. He put the third yep. fastest lap of the race, but he also qualified 17th, finished last on the road, and said the car yep. was maybe the worst he's ever driven in wow. F1. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is a weekend. Hasn't he said that before? I think he has, yeah. <laughs> he says that a lot, I think. I'm I'm gonna go stroll. I'm I'm really yes. I'm really pleased with, I can go with that. seeing the way that the way that he took that start. He wasn't afraid of the big guys up front, you know, like the world champions and the the potential world champions around him. Like he he, he took that start like he deserved to be there, and then he brought it home as well. Yeah, he, he was, was in consistent the, he was all in, the way through. He was in the mix. He mixed it with the big boys. Yeah. He finished fourth, about the the highest you can expect that car to to finish at the moment. Yeah. Probably held maybe, off a bit of attack from his teammates as well. Yeah, you might even yeah. call it a, a place higher because really the other Red Bull ought to be finishing fourth. So yeah, true. Yeah. So I think he's done excellent there. So yeah. To finish fourth. I'm, I'm going with Stroll this weekend. Cool. Okay, so let's have a move of the day then. Mm. The one that stood out to me most wasn't actually an overtake. It was just kind of the duel that Norris and Leclerc had. Um, yeah, the, the Norris defense. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a really fun duel to watch. Mm. Some good defensive driving. I mean. As much as he shouldn't have been in the position, Albon did some stellar round the outsides at turn three. Yeah, he yeah, did against really Grosjean. He got a good one on Grosjean. Vastly different cars, man. Yeah, like one of the only people who really shut the door on him was probably Sainz when he was trying to get Sainz. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Sainz kind of shut the door on him and, and moved towards the outside. All, all like on the limit, but fair enough as it, as it went. Like, well, it looked like any... Sainz almost lost it. <laughs> Yeah, it was like <laughs> well, yeah. entirely intentional shutting of the door. Whether he just had a uh, bit of a he, tank claimed, he claimed it was after the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, shut the door on him. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd perfect control <laughs> of the car the entire time. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a few of those that you know. It's not an easy thing to do. The Norris Leclerc duel was a highlight. I, 
Uh, do you know what? I was thinking about this before we recorded, and I was I was originally going to suggest the Norris defence against Leclerc, but then I thought, am I just being a bit of a fanboy <laughs> as a as a McLaren? A confirmed McLaren fan and specifically a Lando <laughs> Norris fan. Like it's like some religious thing. Like you, you are Christian. Well, it is though. It's like <laughs> it's if if there is one team on that grid that I want to see winning, it's them. And if there's one team on the grid that I want to see, uh, sorry, one driver out on the grid at the minute that I want to see winning, it's probably Norris mm. or or George Russell. God, but that's a, never going to happen. Such a fanboy, the Church of Lando. I know. Is what you're going to. Church of Lando. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. Church of Lando, that's what it so is. So yours is Norris is Leclerc Jewel then, obviously. Chris, I think it is going to end up being. You've got. I think round. it is for me as well. To be honest, that was rewatching the highlights. That was the thing that stood out to me the most. Okay, that's that's fair enough. My, mine was milk. probably. I think my favorite, just as a as a really sort of elbows out strong, you know, firm move on a racetrack was Albon around the side outside of Mag- it was Magnus and he went around the outside of it. Yeah. Three. Um, that was a really, really ballsy kind of, you know, I'm faster than you move, and yeah, yeah, it was, it, I like to see those. Uh, they, I enjoy seeing. To be fair, it was they're vastly different cars. Like the so, yeah. pace differential is so huge, but still, it, it looked great visually. It was a, it was a good overtake, and and against Magnussen as well. Like you know, like Magnussen is not a not a person who gives away positions easily. So no, it's true. I think there's merit there, but I'm outvoted. Norris, yeah. Norris Leclerc, you Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? I don't. I think I'm with Chris on um, the whole Grosjean experience. <laughs> the Grosjean experience. <laughs> the Grosjean experience. The Roman Grosjean experience. Oh, that's a good name for an episode as well. Good name for a jazz band. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was also some more slightly ropey defence. Um, by Grosjean against Raikkonen. Raikkonen wasn't best pleased about yes, that. Yes, he sort of kinked off to the right, didn't he, as uh, as Raikkonen was going around him. I mean, yeah. th- that was just so far down the order, though, that it was a bit of a non-event I, Actually, it's not, it's not the race, um, unfortunately. It's FP3, so I don't know if it'll count or not, but Oh yeah, the, the whole Ocon and Magnussen thing that happened in, at the end of FP3. What? So what happened was coming out of turn three, um, Magnuson came past Ocon, um, <gasps> and Ocon let him through, oh, assuming that yeah. Magnuson was on a fast lap. Turned out Magnuson wasn't on a fast lap, nor was Ocon. Uh, but then I think it was one of the Williams or someone was coming around. It might have been an Alpha Tower. It was something white anyway. Was coming around the corner behind them, and what basically happened is Ocon kind of looked in his mirror and saw it and started moving over. Magnuson had clearly either been told that this car was coming around the corner or had also seen it and also moved across the middle of the track. He, just, he was on the line. and he backed but, out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but Magnuson really let let off like um, the accelerator and really slowed up. And then Ocon sort of came from looking in his mirror to make sure he was out of the way of this other car to seeing the rear end of a Haas in front of him. And instinctively, for some, I don't like. I can't imagine what had gone through his head at that moment because he must have bricked it seeing the rear end of that car in front of him. But he just kind of turned right and crashed into the wall that Alonso hit a few yeah. years ago in. Um, well, he locked the rear. He locked the rear. He was hammering on the brakes. Yeah, he essentially, he, the he, he hit the brakes and turned avoid. right. And what was what was the scary thing of it is if you look from the offboard that was like looking 
towards the cars, as in like looking cars coming towards at the cars camera, head yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cars coming to camera, that's it. it. There's a moment where Magnuson must realise Ocon's behind him and swerves to the left and probably nearly swerves <laughs> into the path of whoever they were trying to avoid. Like, Yeah, it was a bit... I know it's not race-related, but that that was a bit of a WTF a, for me when I saw it that. It was a big-time WTF. I'm going to restrict this WTF. One. No, no, it's not. We, we all know I think what that the is. one is. <laughs> We all know what the real one is. It's Leclerc oh, taking his bloody seatbelt. Seatbelt. Oh, that's, that's oh yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's that fair. Is it. Yeah. That's a proper WTF. Yeah. You don't get more WTF than that. Oh, I'll drive a 200 mile around a vehicle <laughs> around um, a very <laughs> fast race circuit and I won't wear my seatbelt. Yeah, of course it's there. Yeah. Nah. Don't get me started on that again, though. Yeah, no, okay, I will not. <laughs> All right, let, we'll just give it this award. And I, did, I, did, I do remember the uh, the incident, the Grosjean incident, by the way. I, should, I just yeah. thought something else must have happened. I thought like maybe in between the sessions they'd um, had a fight or something. Because <laughs> Ocon, <laughs> Ocon obviously got involved in that sort of pushing around handbags at dawn session with um, Verstappen oh, in Brazil, Verstappen. didn't he? So, and, yeah. and Magnussen's not exactly a... Um, cool, calm, collected <laughs> character. So I was expecting to say they had a, had a scrap or something in the paddock. Right. Anyway, um, takeaways from the uh, Spanish Grand Prix 2020. I think first one, Hamilton is just running away with it, isn't he? He's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, something it, needs to go very wrong for him now, doesn't it? To... Especially when his teammate, who's in the prime <laughs> position to take the fight to him, says, "I've already lost this." Like that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty. Attitude. I didn't realize. I didn't realize Bottas had said that until Chris brought it up, and it's kind of disappointed me that Bottas is in that mindset already. Like, I know it's not an easy thing to take the fight to someone like Hamilton, but you've got to at least be trying. Like, it feels like he's not bothered now. Yeah, it's but, defeatist. I mean, does that open the door to Max to to maybe push? Defeatist is the feet? word. Yeah, mm. I don't know disappointed yeah very disappointing um well my next takeaway uh, tom is verstappen is becoming the real challenger in in this championship Agreed. compared to i mean verstappen's uh, sorry bottas is just sort of falling away slowly verstappen's sort of occupying that that ground between the two mercedes cars and red bull is sort of coming up with the goods in terms of strategy at the minute if they can just find a little bit more pace we might see verstappen actually challenging for some wins against hamilton he's definitely going to be there to clear up the scraps if anything does happen <laughs> mm, to hamilton for sure 100 i'd say we want to be a, a tire compound softer at every race <laughs> from now on yeah. like what we did at silverstone for the 70th yeah i mean he's do that every race and we'll actually have a title fight between Lewis and Max, 100%. Yeah, he's the only driver other than Hamilton this season to have won a race. And the race he did mm-hmm. win, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, was entirely on merit. He did it yeah. without, you know, needing to... He, he was so much better on... The, that car was so much better on its tyres than any other car throughout the race. They just absolutely cracked it. And if they can crack it, if yep. they can keep cracking it... They nearly cracked it this weekend. If, if Mercedes had slipped up... And run the strategy that they nearly did run with Hamilton, then I think we'd be looking at quite a a slightly closer, at least, championship table yeah. than we have been in recent weeks. I think he might have started falling backwards into the clutches of Verstappen. I, I think there was a point where Verstappen was probably not like taking it easy is the wrong word, but like it, it was essentially, I've, there's there's not enough in the car to be able to catch Lewis, uh, but I don't need to push too hard because Valter is nowhere behind me. So it was like it was stuck a little bit in no man's land. 
had Lewis had those soft tyres on, same as Valtteri, and started falling into his grasp, I think we'd have seen a slightly different drive from Max for that final stint. Yeah, mm-hmm. a much more interesting uh, race. It, so it, yeah, sadly, it would have made a much more interesting race. Um, just, yeah. to, just to correct you, though, don't forget that Bottas did win the first race of the season. It feels like a very long time ago. Oh, now, he did. But... Of course yeah. he did. He did, yeah. Sorry, oh, yeah. I got completely <laughs> wrong, didn't I? Thank you, Chris. Always there to... Uh... Uh. Pick Pull up, up on all your mistakes. <laughs> Clean up my mistakes. That's the, that's the that's the phrase I was looking for. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if anyone's gonna if anyone's gonna stick up and make sure that Bottas gets <laughs> oh, any God. credit for anything, it's gonna be Chris. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Okay. I'm guess we're trying to hang on being a Bottas fan. I'm but it's, so sorry. <laughs> struggle. Oh, right. Sorry, Bottas. Mm. Um, I mean, we're just we're just as defeatist. That's all it yeah. is. We're like, he can't have won a race. Um, so my next takeaway, uh, Vettel and Raikkonen, they've had enough. They're, they're, they're sick yep. of this malarkey. Um, Raikkonen did, he, the, I think, broke the record for the most miles ever done uh, in a Formula 1 car. Yes. Yeah. Mini, mini, WT, mini WTF of he's not the most experienced racing driver in a Formula 1 car, yet he's done the most miles <laughs> ever. It's completely nonsensical. Oh, that's just... Yeah. So, so to officially become the most experienced driver, he has to have been involved in more races than Rubens Barrichello, which is about three or four races away to like later on this season. Yet, he's actually driven more miles yeah. in uh, in races because of, um, well, I guess he's finished more than Rubens did. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I don't, right. I don't know. Also, he's, he's driven more miles essentially. He's also won more championships than Rubens Barrichello did. Yeah. <laughs> Um, (laughs) it's a deep burn next one Um, the Spanish Grand Prix is still average at best even when it's hot yep yeah I I just don't know why they're still raced there don't race at the place you do all your testing yeah it just seems so logical just go somewhere else in Spain just go to Jerez there's plenty of good tracks in Spain there's loads of good tracks or flip it don't do the testing there I guess as well yeah I'd it's cheap though, isn't it? It's easy for them to get to. I can see why yeah. they do test there. Like, it's a, there's a logic to testing there, but holding a Grand Prix at the track yeah. that they just rack up the miles at just—it just doesn't generate very good racing, does it? I or think, do something to I the think track. The thing has always been. I think the problem they've got though is the confinement of the track. They can't. There's nowhere to go. That's why we ended up with the chicane at the end of the lap, isn't it? Because there's no room to extend the. the it's not possible for them to move the grandstands back to increase the runoff area for that mm. what would be like the penultimate sweeping corner that they had to get rid of and i think the problem with that circuit is it reminds me a little bit of hungary in the sense that it's one of those that the drivers love driving around and they love the flow of it but it doesn't necessarily present any overtaking opportunities no um because we we have had similar issues at hungary in the past and i think it's just that it's narrower in places than a lot of other circuits especially these modern cars faster. and it's just it's just constant flowing corners isn't it like there's no the only real heavy braking point is turn one that's it well yeah that's it and maybe the other one at there's the, end the of back, back straight, straight that's, turn a, that's nine, a really big stop is it? yeah that's a yeah. Really, really big stop but then the corner that, onto that straight is sort of quite high speed so it yeah. strings them out in the process yeah yeah so, I mean, it's yeah, opposite. it's almost flat, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of what you want for overtaking. It's, it's. Yeah. You need really, you need. Here's a sneak peek. You need a double chicane onto a straight. Hmm. That's what you need. Hmm. And I'll, I'll leave that there. 
Um, the final <laughs> thing I will, the final takeaway for this weekend is going to be Stroll justifying his place in Racing Point. We've already covered this quite extensively, yeah. so we won't go too far into it. But I think he's doing a great job. I think it's just worth sort of, you know, yeah, really giving great. him a, giving him a takeaway for it. Hey, have a takeaway, yeah. Lance Stroll. Enjoy it. <laughs> um, right, oh, I deliver. Tom's gonna free advertising for delivery there. Tom's gonna take us through some predictions now. Tom, take it away. Yes, I will, and I will also start by saying um, some of you may have already seen on social media that there was an issue with the Hungarian results. Essentially, everybody got their points like they should have, but then they got them another two times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so some of the standings may have been a little bit inflated. Um, I want to say thanks to uh, someone called Aaron, who was the first person to actually point it out to me <laughs> and emailed us to say, I think there's something wrong because I'm showing on the leaderboard for <laughs> Hungary three times. Um so that's adjusted some things in the standings a little bit, which I'll cover in a second. Uh, in mm-hmm. terms of the predictions for Spain, um, I got two points for double Hamilton. Chris got the sole point for Hamilton win, but I slept him down by half a tenth for Paul. Um, Stu also got two points, but you were a little more optimistic with the 19 finishes, Stu, for your yeah, second point. So. Yeah, I thought I would genuinely thought I'd done the same thing, and then I looked at it <laughs> um, Sunday evening. I was like, "Oh, eighteen, damn!" Mm. <laughs> um, there was a lot of people scoring three this week. Uh, that was the top score overall. Um, too many names to like mention all of them, but I'll give specific mentions to Hendrik Stumpf, who was the only person to get a Leclerc first DNF. Uh, and Saki Boy with lots of whys <laughs> was the only person to put Grosjean in 19th as random driver. So they were the only two people that scored those points in the respective categories. Um, overall, uh, the top is a tie between uh, Brendan Bain and Oscar Felding. They've both got 11 points after the deflation of the Bernie bonuses. <laughs> um, there's, there's a number of people hot on their tail with 10 points, though. So it's still very, very tight up there at the top. Uh, and then in terms of us, I am eighth with nine points. Wow. Stu, this is this shows how close it actually is because you wrote, you've got seven point five points, Stu, which is not really that far behind me with my nine, but it drops you all the way down to fifty six. <laughs> that's how wow. that's how many people are in the mix <laughs> at the moment. And then Chris is one hundred and fortieth with four points. <sighs> you got to be careful, Chris. Tom. You might win your own game here if you if you don't. Oh, that that would be good luck. I mean, I've done it. I did it once, but that's mainly because nobody else entered it but us because it was our first Uh, season. (laughs) I I remember those days (laughs) when it was just us and a couple of other regulars. It's bad enough that you've got a second account entering as well, Tom. Where is that account actually? I've not checked (laughs) where my alter ego is. I forgot to check your mysterious alter ego. My mysterious alter ego, Tom Ling. <laughs> Shout out to God, Tom Ling, whoever so you are, funny. by the way. I really, I really want to like socialize with you. Please talk to me. <laughs> At least make the effort to like change more than one letter around. It's Tom. not. I've it's not him. my it's fault. So I really want to know where they are. That person was tied with me. I want to know where they are now. <laughs> it's literally the next letter in the alphabet as well. Know, it's the really? minimum yeah, effort required. It's think... so obvious. Like go a few down. <laughs> Tom, Tom Zing. Tom Zing. Tom Tom Ling is twenty fourth with eight points. Of course, I was beating me and Stu. Yeah, yeah. Sounds about right, that doesn't it? Right. Oh, and of course, we don't have to do any predictions for next week, do we? Because we've got a week off, so we can do inbox if you want. Okay, let's move on to inbox. You've got the first one, Tom. 
I'll I'll go for it then. We'll just crack on. Um, the relationship between Seb and his race engineer appears pretty bad on TV. Do the TV producers pick and choose the audio that's shown to add more drama, or is it just actually that bad? Ooh, good question. Um, I think they... it's a little from column A, a little from column B there, isn't it? Yeah, I was about to <laughs> say. Like, we try to kind of... So I, I look after the Say What's that get posted on. We, we call them Say What's, and they go out on social media. Um, so anytime you see a radio message with like a load of text graphics popping up, um, I would have made that text animate that way. And what we tend to do is try to keep as faithful to the original message as we possibly can. We'll sometimes sort of trim long gaps out of the middle, but what you hear is as a rule is very, very, very close to what's being what's actually being said mm. so it yeah. yeah it's 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 accurate yeah I, th- I think that as well like sometimes the the sort of the the high intensity bit as in in race live that's the bit that the the tv director will will pick to go for because that's the bit that usually has a the key information that that the point is trying to put across but b it's got that high intensity to it so you, you if you if you can find it, it is there. Someone's got like the the radio transcript and the actual audio for the entire conversation between Seb and his engineer, and it's it's nowhere near as dramatic and as intense as that little clip makes it, where he's giving it the Fs and saying like, yeah. "I asked about this three laps ago." But I think that the relationship is still not a good one. It like it's they're just taking what essentially personifies that moment aren't they which is that yeah that, i mean that clip personifies they, that moment yeah, they, they, they take something that you know that suits the narrative could be yeah, obviously yeah. If, if there's a if there's something occurring on the track then they're going to take elements of the of, of the capture if you like of the race so they're obviously yeah. they're capturing many aspects of the race that's radio messages that's data that's film of the cars going around the track there's interviews going on the whole time so they're going to show like things that are going to make the sport look dramatic and look exciting and yeah hmm. and and they're going to run with it and when, when, everything you see is real you know it's it, none of it's yes. made up it's not reality tv like everything you see happen in that sporting event and let's not forget it's a sporting event and there's a lot of serious business around it as well none of it's they can't make it up like it is <laughs> genuinely real so yeah yeah it, it, if it sounds bad then it probably is bad yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's it um the next one is by is from julian hajar and they say do you think ferrari will be able to recover by next year or is carlos going to move backwards oh well, we can answer that one really quickly i think who would like to go first? they won't recover next year <laughs> given <laughs> the regulations basically standing still i think they'll be they'll remain behind McLaren. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think Carlos is going to be... As much respect as I have for Carlos Sainz, I don't think he's a silver, silver bullet that's going to solve no. all the problems at Ferrari. No, not at all. And I don't no. think it's a driver problem they've got either. So No. No. Next one. Uh, Bjarne Gable says, do you think Seb will leave Ferrari before the season is over? He looks pretty unhappy. No, I think he'll stay at yeah. his contract. I, no, I think he's got... Yeah, I, think, I agree with you. I think he's got the integrity to see out what he's started yeah the only, agreed I, I don't think he'd walk away from it yeah the only way he's not seeing out that contract is if ferrari give him the boot and they just won't do yeah. that we don't know how many races are even going to be this season anyway so 
exactly it makes sense politically to to sort of do that kind of damage and shake shake everything up that that much but then again no you never really know because ferrari often don't do always do the thing (laughs) that makes the most sense so maybe they will just spit the dummy out and it only <laughs> takes a really really awful race and then you know we, we could all change our minds on this but right now from where i'm sitting i don't think ferrari will be kicking anyone out and i don't think Vettel will be upping and leaving yeah i agree with that totally yep um dace fonz says uh, hi guys been listening for two years now and loving all the podcasts to so keep it going thank you yeah thanks dace uh, uh, as it stands, the only three people winning this year will probably be Bottas, Hamilton, and Verstappen. Correct. Is this the first time? <laughs> <laughs> is this the first time only three people win during a year? I I said to you before the show that I think that if you went back to early Lewis titles at Mercedes, like fourteen fifteen, this has probably happened. But I've not had a chance to check it. <laughs> but I'm I'm pretty sure there were at least a couple of years where basically. Lewis or Nico won the race, and it was somebody like Seb in. He might have been in the Ferrari at the time. Picking yeah, up the odd scrap. possibly. Um, so I think it's happened more recent than you might think that only three people have won in a year. I believe you are correct, Tom, in that it was twenty. Oh no, it wasn't. I was going to say twenty sixteen, but. It was Rosberg and Hamilton won the most, but Ricardo and Verstappen both picked up a win that year. Yeah, so you were right. Tom was right about 2016. So it did 14 and 15, or 14 or 15. I'm sure one of them, it was just them two and Seb. Yes, it was. 2015. Hamilton, Rosberg, and Seb got victory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just just to expand on that question, one for you both. If if we are going to get a fourth winner this season, who do you think it's going to be? I mean, <laughs> dare I say, like a Lance Stroll capitalizes on a mess at the front. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Uh... It's not out of the realms of possibility. I mean, you need a freeway accident or, or some ter- terrible reliability coupled with uh, a, a sort of pileup or something for anyone else <laughs> to be winning races, I think, at the moment. Maybe Albon yeah, or Leclerc it... is an outlier as well. Yeah, Leclerc is probably the most likely outlier, I'd say. He got, he got second at um, one of them, didn't he? Yeah, it's weird saying that Leclerc's got more of a chance than Albon in considering the two cars. Yeah. Leclerc's been like up on the podium. He's put that car where it's had no yeah. business being, I think, so yeah, far this season. Agree. So as much as we've been hating on him this race, hmm. he, he's a bloody good race driver. Jacob says, is there a track at which Lewis has raced but never won at? There are a few actually. Um so Can I can I take a guess at one? Sure. Um Hockenheim. Nope, he has won at Hockenheim. Uh, I don't remember the win there. I don't actually off the top of my head, but he has won there. So you may remember when he won at Pori Card last year, that meant he had won at every circuit on that year's calendar. Um yes. which obviously means that mm. The original version of this year's calendar and the current one, the only circuits he hasn't won at are ones that have never been raced at before. Um, The ones he's actually raced at and hasn't won are the Valencia Street Circuit, the Ah. Korea International Circuit, the Bud International Circuit in India, and Manicor. So basically circuits we have no chance of (laughs) fixing that record. Um, (laughs) An interesting side fact on that (laughs) is that he's never won a race called the European Grand Prix. He's won at the Nürburgring, (laughs) but only when it was the German Grand Prix. As I said, he never uh, never won at Valencia. 
and Baku was the European Grand Prix for the first one in 2016, which Rosberg won. But it's obviously been the Azerbaijan Grand Prix ever since then. So that's one thing he doesn't have on his CV is a European Grand Prix win. It's interesting. Although he has won many Grand Prix in Europe. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I think we've covered that one. Um, Next one, Chris. Next, uh, someone called El Ham says, uh, as much as I love seeing Williams racing with other cars again, do you think this is a result of them actually improving the car or is it more a reflection of the Mercedes engine improving per Toto's comments? Or is it the loss of pace suffered by the Ferrari engine this year, which has dropped the two customer teams into the reach of the Williams? I I think it's a little bit of all of the above, isn't it? Like, I think there there must be some improvement in there because, like, you've seen the potential that George has gone out of it on one lap pace. And he's probably out driving the car, but George Russell's put that car, like, solidly into Q2 for the most part of the season. Yeah. Um, so I think there is definitely some improvement there, but it it definitely helps that the Haas and the um, Alpha appear to be going backwards in terms of grid position. Yeah, but they're mm. definitely improving. I mean, Williams over the past few years have proved that you can't just take the best engine on the grid and stick <laughs> it in a bad car and expect to do well. Like, Yeah. There's lots more than the engine going on, so they definitely are moving forward. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a bit of everything there. Mm. Yeah. Um, Alex Taberner says, uh, with Alpha struggling for pace and Kimmy being clearly frustrated at being at the back of the pack, what kind of lineup do we think we'd see there next year? But then also on a, on a couple of other similar notes, which I think is nicely bundled together. Um, Fadley said, do you think Kimmy's going to retire this season given his performance over the first six races? And Wesley Paul also asked, um, with there being rumours that Nico Hulkenberg could be going to Alfa Romeo for next season, given their performance so far, if he was actually offered that seat, should he take it? And would he take it? So, like, the, the entire bundle is basically, do we think Kimmy will have had enough by the end of this season? And should and would Nico Hulkenberg take his place if, if it was up yeah. to him? Um, my answer to that straight away is uh, Kimmy has already had enough. You can tell that. By yeah, the, I think yeah, he's checked out. I think so. Hearing from the car. We went over, the, you know, we, we answered the question a moment ago about radio messages and he does sound very frustrated on the radio to his, to yeah. his uh, engineer. Um, and then Hulkenberg, if you're Nico Hulkenberg, I mean, Nico Hulkenberg always said he, if he was coming back to F1, he'd want to be in a decent car. And mm. that Alfa Romeo doesn't really fit that description for me. No. So I don't think he'd... Um, I don't think he should take it. I don't, and I don't He's, think he would take it either. I think, I think I'd prefer to see Hulkenberg go for a, see a, a better a better team than that. Yeah, I, I I agree with all of that. Like I think that Kimmy's always been... He's always said that he's happy to be on the grid as long as he's enjoying himself. And so he, he, he's not necessarily demanding a top seat anymore. He just want, but he wants to be able to at least race. And at the moment, he can't even do that because the Alpha just gets swamped by the the other main exactly, cars. Yeah. And that that's what's making him unhappy. If he was at least fighting for points in the midfield, I think he'd be content because he can race people and he can, you know, he can he can enjoy his time in the car. And he's just not got that. So I agree with everything saying that I think he will probably just call it um, at the end of the season. 
But I also agree with Stu that I don't think Hulkenberg should ruin his potential chance of being able to get back into the sport by taking that seat at the minute. Yeah, and plus, like, let's you know, let's let's give that seat to a younger driver. Let's give it to someone who's in F two at the moment. Well, I was going to say, like, Ferrari have got. Uh, Callum Eiler, Robert Schwartzman, and Mick Schumacher in F2 yeah, right the, now, all three of whom are like fighting at the front it. week in, week out. So yeah. yep. if anyone's going to get that alpha yep. seat, it's going to be one of those three, I think. I would I would say that's the right way to go yeah, about agreed. it. And so. Hulkenberg should bide his time for a better seat should it come available. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, final one then. Um, Brendan Harris says, do you think there will be an investigation into Mercedes by the FIA, much like what happened to Ferrari last year, and see a performance drop from them make the field more competitive? Midfield racing was exciting, but Mercedes and the lone Max Verstappen were just are just running away with it. Um, I agree with all that, but I don't... I mean, what are they going to get them on? You know, that, Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I think Mercedes are quick within the rules, and Ferrari ultimately weren't. I mean... Yeah. They, yeah. As much as the FIA, from what we could tell, couldn't necessarily prove that Ferrari were breaking the rules, everybody seems to think they were. Yeah. I mean, the, whereas the, it's, well, it's not for want to try in because they're they're already sort of trying. Oh, to yeah. cut the qualifying pace, aren't they, by stopping them using in inverted commas party mode, whatever that is. But then all the yeah. teams have it. It's just it looks like Mercedes is slightly a better version of it than some of the other teams. But, you know, that pace is not going to disappear just because you got rid of that qualifying mode. They're still that much quicker than everyone else anyway. So it's yeah. just, it's just all, a, it's all a bit Mercedes bashy to me, all that sort of stuff. And I don't think that's the solution. I think the solution is the other teams be better. Yeah, I mean, six Constructors' Championships in, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that Mercedes have made a very good Formula One car, and no one else has made a car as good. Like that's just yeah. the world of F one we live in right now. And I, I love that there's a sort of a little bit of irony around the whole Racing Point thing for me as well, which is Racing Point are essentially like I know this is really simplifying what is all up in the air at the minute, but they've essentially essentially gone to Mercedes and bought some parts, some old like unused on the car parts or however it all works <laughs> out like whatever whatever the details are there it's all it's all still a bit up in there but essentially they've bought something looked at it and gone how can we put our own stamp on that and essentially copy it like why have other teams not like looked at the mercedes and gone okay what are they doing here that we're not let's copy it like at this point in time racing point have essentially proven that if you copy that car as close as you can within the regulations as far as they're concerned and as far as the regulations are written, you can suddenly be pushing for a podium. Mm. Why, like, like, come on, when everyone was looking at blown diffusers or yeah. um, all that stuff, as soon as it was on a car and there was clearly a dominance, everybody mm. tried to copy it. F'd up, I think everybody tried to copy it. The thing with that, though, is that, that seemed like a bit of a silver bullet, didn't it? And it, and it kind of was. Like The double True. diffuser was just that. It was like a real game-changer in performance. And the F-duct was enough of a sort of development that it was worth everyone. And it was a very visible development as well, so it was worth everyone yeah. and easy to implement. So it was worth everyone going down that road. I think Mercedes, and this is why it is so dominant, it, there's no single part of that car that's um that's better than true that you know that's a silver bullet it's a collection of elements that all work incredibly well together and that's what makes it so difficult for um 
for the rest of Formula One to copy it, and that's why they're so dominant. So, yeah. But then, of course, the other thing as well is like, even if you fully lean into like all the conspiracy theories around racing point, like I mean, um, Colin Cole's um at the weekend alleged that racing point like received a wind tunnel model and like a full size show car from Mercedes and all this kind of stuff, but. He has history the Toto Wolf that may be clouding your judgment. But even if you lean all the way into all of that stuff and all the conspiracy theories and like, yes, Mercedes just gave racing points a car, that still means that no other team this year has been able to build a car better than last year's Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> the, the problem at that point doesn't lie with Mercedes, does it? Or with the rules, that still lies with all the other teams not doing as good a job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And I think, Chris, that's the that's a perfect time for us to round this one off. What Sounds do you think, guys? Good. You got anything more to add to that? No, that is all good for me. No, I'm hungry and I'm far too hot, so it sounds like a great time to end. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's that. That's that's going to be it for this week, guys. Um, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Back of the Grid, and um, you can visit our website if you want to get in touch with us. Um, it's backofthegrid.com. There's a contact form on there, and we try to reply to all messages and try and get you on the show where we can. And with all that, it is goodbye from me and it's goodbye from these guys. So see you next time. Bye. Bye.